Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. In this episode, we hear from Ben Watkiss, co-founder of British backpack and hold-all brand Stubble & Co. Founded in March 2017, Stubble & Co. blends functionality and performance to create durable bags that are perfect for any occasion. Following a consultancy career of over 10 years and having been consistently let down by bags whilst travelling, Ben and his wife saw a gap in the market for an aspirational yet affordable option that could be trusted but also put customers first. Ben shares with us his advice on why clearly defining your brand with a long-term view is so important and why going via the Kickstarter route can be a great way to get going with your business. Hi, Ben. It's great to have you on How to Start Up today. It would be great if you could start with a brief introduction as to who you are and a little bit about the business that you started. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on today. So my name is Ben Watkins. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Stubborn Co. And in a prior life, I used to be a, a management consultant, a auditor, uh, an accountant. More recently, I've been um, building Stubborn Co. Um, Stubborn Co is a brand which is a direct consumer brand which produces high quality, aspirational yet affordable backpacks and holders. The mission of Stubborn Co is to make traveling as easy as possible. So, have you managed to achieve the impossible of finding the perfect piece of luggage? And please say yes to this. <laughs> I think so. We've got our roll top and our roll top backpack, I believe you can use for almost anything. And that is the principle behind the brand. So our roll-top backpack is really, really comfortable. It's really versatile in terms of the size of the product. But most importantly, actually, it looks good in almost all situations. You'll be absolutely fine walking into the city, going into a board meeting as much as you would be on a weekend away or even up at the top of a mountain. And this is the real key thing behind the brand is trying to create really functional, versatile, high-quality products, which will stand the test of time and you can use them in almost any situation. I love this because I'm Eeyore. I spend my life putting things in one bag and taking them out and putting them in another and invariably always forget something. And as we've just discussed, I'm skiing at the moment and the bag swapping and pocket swapping is a nightmare. So if you've solved this problem, that would be epic. <laughs> um, I think the, um, the most important thing which we found is listening to our customers. And actually the roll top backpack wasn't our first bag. I think it was our, our fourth product. And what we've really found is that if you just take your time to listen to customers, to hear what they really, really need, and then evolve that into products, you can be really, really successful. And when did you start Stubble & Co? So we started it back in 2017, and it was probably about a year's work before we went public with it. Um, so we actually launched it on a platform called Kickstarter. Yeah. And I had been working consulting for about 10 years and got through my fair share of bags and found that typically a bag would break within a year of using it. And when it did break, there was no way to really contact the company or to get it resolved or warranties were very, very poor. And we believe that actually there was a gap in the market to create this high quality, aspirational, yet affordable luggage, but also to create a brand which had a real connection with the customer so that if anything was to go wrong, we could resolve it very, very quickly and that we could learn from them. And what was your experience with Kickstarter? Terrifying to begin with. 
<laughs> now, Kickstarter is a um, it's a crowdfunding platform. Is there any advice you'd offer for a new founder considering going that route? Yeah, I think you need to be really, really organized. You need to be really brave as well. By that, I mean, it's a very, very public platform. When we launched Dublin Co on Kickstarter, everybody we knew was going to see exactly how successful or unsuccessful we were. And therefore, you need to make sure you get off to a really good start because success breeds success. So we made sure before we went on there, one, that our product was as good as it possibly could be. Two, the way in which we were presenting the product was as clear and convincing as it could be. But we also made sure that we had identified just about every single person we possibly could to make sure that we contacted them on the day that we launched. And our key objective for that was to drive awareness of the campaign. We never asked anybody to purchase a bag on that first day. We actually asked them to share the campaign. And it was all about trying to get reach and trying to get that personal connection with as big an audience as possible. And it was hugely successful, actually. So within our first 30 days of trading, we'd sold over £80,000 worth of bags. That's incredible. Which really proud of when there was no brand to support that at all. And what that really demonstrated was that, one, there was definitely a market there. And two, we had the ability to reach that market. And that's what gave us the confidence to then move from an experiment as to whether we could do this or not into actually turning into a fully fledged business. So would you say Kickstarter is a good sort of validation of a business model? You put it out into the world and just see the traction and you get a sense of where you then belong, what space you're going to market yourself into. I think for a product-based business, it is a fantastic way to start. It definitely reduces the risk. We'd invested quite a lot into getting to the point when you launched but we hadn't invested in actually manufacturing any of the goods. And therefore, we only manufactured the quantity of bags which we required for the Kickstarter. And we obviously manufactured some additional ones to then go into inventory. But what it meant was the actual amount of capital we needed to get the business off the ground was much lower. It also meant that we were really, really focused on the brand and what it was we were trying to build right from the start because you've then got a very public platform which is always going to be there and that is what everyone's going to remember particularly our close contacts as to what the business represents this is a thing you can scroll away and work on a business and actually not tell anyone you could have founded something but until you put it out into the world no one will really know what you're doing how would you manage that sort of that ego element i guess around that (laughs) i don't know you are very vulnerable um it all comes down to preparation doesn't it you've got to be confident that whatever happens you're proud of the outcome, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you feel like you have put everything into it, which you could have done, and that you've left no stone unturned. We actually were pushed, dare I say, into launching maybe slightly before we thought we were ready. And it was a really, really close friend of ours who actually produced our first Kickstarter video. And he basically turned around saying, you're chasing perfection and trying to achieve perfection is nearly impossible. And actually it's probably commercially unviable. And that actually the most important thing is that you've given it your all. You've got it as far as you possibly can take it. You're proud of where you're at. Go ahead, launch it, then make sure you learn really, really quickly off the back of it. And that if you need to make any changes or any amendments, then you're set up in a way where you can implement those as quickly as possible. And I actually think that's really, really wise advice. So have some bandwidth prepared once you've gone out there to listen to that feedback and and be nimble. Exactly. And to be really open to feedback and to constantly want to improve. And actually, the very best way to learn is by having your product in customer hands. It's then making sure that if you were to have 
a common piece of feedback that we address it. And so, for example, the common feedback from our very first bag was it's not big enough. They loved the style. They loved the quality. They loved the functionality of it, but actually they wanted a slightly bigger one. And that's when we then launched the Weekender. And so then by having that in our range, it then grew our product catalog, which then helped us to grow the business that little bit more. I don't know whether we necessarily would have gone straight away for a slightly bigger version of exactly the same bag if it wasn't for actually having that customer feedback. Well, feedback, I'm definitely finding I'm at a point now where we're proven, we're rolling, we've had clients, we have clients, and then going back to the clients to say, please come and get your feedback. How do you encourage that feedback? Because if it's positive, people don't tend to want to share it too often. And they only share feedback if it's a complaint. But how do you go back to market and ask for that feedback? There's some really good uh, platforms and tools out there. So we use something called Typeform, which is almost like SurveyMonkey. Mm. But it makes surveys really, really intuitive, user-friendly. And we can gain very, very good insight that way. And so we are really focused on trying to maintain that relationship with our customers after they purchase the bag. And when we send out feedback requests, our conversion rate on those in terms of the number of people who actually complete them is really, really high. And so we find people are very willing to share information to help grow and improve the brand. Is that because they're aware that you're still, well, I mean, you're five years in, but they love the product so much and they want to help you. Do they become part of your family? Absolutely. And I think it's... um, we will still send emails, which are from Ben at Stumlerco. And we're trying to maintain that personal connection with them, even as the, the brand scales. I think that's something which we'll always try and do. But it's an interesting one because your business, your bag is a bag for life and you've built it to last. They're presumably not going to be a repeat client, but one that would just refer you on. And is that how you're building your business with sort of such good integrity behind the product that people want to tell other people? It is, yeah. Yeah, hopefully you don't want them to come and buy another one. No, we don't. Still got one. <laughs> <laughs> and you could say it's a, a, a flawed business model, but the rate at which it's scaling at the moment, and actually if you look at the repeat purchase rate, it's really, really ramping up at the moment. And what we're finding from that is that we're very strategically growing the range of products which we produce to make sure that there's multiple different items within the range which you might want to have. But for us, Q4, so the lead up to Christmas is absolutely huge. Mm. And that is comes down to gifting. And actually bags are a fantastic gift because they're giving that that hope, that aspiration, that the excitement of travel indirectly. We're also at, I believe, quite a good price point for a lot of people. So our products are ranged between 95 and 185 pounds at the moment. So it's a proper Christmas gift. Exactly. Well, and most of the UK book all of their annual leave and trips in January. So it's prime time to lead up to that as well. It really is. And given your product-based business, when do you start working on Christmas? For my previous roles, Christmas was done in July. All communications, everything's locked in by July. And Christmas ruined July for everyone if you're in product. Is that the same for you? We're ordering all the bags right now that we need for Christmas. Oh, goodness, and it's April. It's April, (laughs) yeah. And... um, It's just down to the speed at which the brand is scaling right now. We have to be on the front foot. And if we were to wait any longer, then I would have concerns about us being able to produce all the bags we need. Um, Quality is so, so important to the brand. And therefore, we will not rush things. And that means if we need to scale up our production, that's not something which can be done at the flick of a switch. Yeah. I think lead times when it comes to that, people forget. They say, oh, how do we get in gift guides in November? It's like, well, they went to print last week, so I think you've missed the boat. 
Christmas is in July. Whoever's listening in a product-based business, think of that. (laughs) And given that you're five years in and you've also had two children in this time, you've become fully self-employed and you've left a full-time role behind you now. You think if a friend of yours was thinking about starting a company, is there anything that you tell them to do now, next or never? Now is get going straight away. I think we had ideas for businesses for maybe five years before we actually started one. There's always that nervousness as to whether it will work or not. The hardest step is the first step. And therefore, if you just take that step and you can get the wheels in motion that start to build some momentum, you learn so, so quickly. Yeah. And I think I'd really, really recommend people just to start. And to start relatively small, we were both in full-time employment when we started the business and we were for the first two years of the brand. And therefore, it's a relatively low risk way of going about it. The sacrifice is time. You have no time. You have to work all hours of the day. I was going to say, I don't know how you've done that because I found I had three full-time jobs in just my own startup. So the fact you actually had another job is quite a minor miracle. And then having babies at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> You're very yeah, good multitasker, yeah. I'd say. Um, I can operate on not very much sleep, which is yeah. fortunate. And how about next? What would you advise someone to do once they've taken that plunge? Really look at the data and understand everything which the data is telling you. And it sounds quite boring and technical, but you can learn so much from data that can really help your decision-making and drive efficiencies in your business. And would that be around sales in that sector, your concepts, where your conversions are coming from? Like, What sort of data would you really look into in detail? Absolutely everything, <laughs> basically. Um, almost tr- convert everything you can into data. So we track every single time a customer contacts us Whatever that may be, good or bad, we are tracking that. And so we know exactly why people are reaching out to us. It means we understand the good bits. It means we can understand maybe where things are going exactly to plan. And then we can work out, okay, how do we resolve that situation and improve the customer experience? And it all comes back to really trying to make the customer as happy as possible and putting the customer first. Because if we can have really, really happy customers exceed their expectations, They will talk about the brand and that will help the brand grow. And it's far more efficient compared to trying to constantly acquire and convert new customers. I think someone else said that to me. It's like, as long as you're solving someone's problem and they want to pay to have that problem solved, you're in business. And if you keep listening to how that problem might be evolving for for you, for example, saying we need a bigger bag or we need a, a wash kit or something else that you can solve for them. And I've seen this across any business brand, service, product, you name it. And I think for me, it gives me a lot of sanity when I'm on an 18 hour day wondering what I'm doing. That Right, I'm solving that problem. It really helps. And going back to the data, I guess that's where that validation comes from as well. You're validating that problem. No, completely. And then what would be your never if you could go back and have your time again? I think I'll go back to almost that gut instinct point. And that if your gut instinct says you shouldn't do something, never do it. Yeah. There's been a couple of instances where we have thought about using a supplier and we've spoken to a couple of people and we started working with them. Our gut instinct right from the start was this isn't going to work, but we continued to work with them. We allowed them to convince us that they were the experts and they knew better than us, but actually they didn't. And the quality of the work which they delivered was not up to what our expectations were. And we had obviously wasted a a fair amount of time and expense on working with them. And if we trusted our gut, that relationship wasn't going to work. Right from the start, there would have been some huge savings for us. 
And it's almost more gutting about the time, the sunk cost yeah. element of cutting your losses and just going back up to then go down another route. But yeah, I find it's the same with people as well. When you're recruiting a team, it's the sunk cost you've invested in them. You've spent time to find them, you onboard them and you know really quickly. It's sort of like dating, I suppose, you know, within about yeah. three minutes, it's <laughs> going to work out. But that gut feeling, I mean, well, it's scientifically proven, isn't it? The vagus nerve, it's just so important to listen to. Yeah. Time advice is always valuable, given that you are juggling so many things, including a small family. How do you find the time in the day to do everything? Uh, the simple answer is you don't. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, you fix the luggage um, problem, but you but... haven't fixed time. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most important thing is, one, you've obviously got to prioritise, but you have also do have to recruit, and you've got to recruit the right people. And... I feel incredibly fortunate to have an amazing team working for Stubborn Co, um, who we completely trust, who we can allow to work with a high degree of autonomy. And what that means is that they are actually taking a lot of workload off myself and they're able to do that in a way where they don't need a huge amount of support. And so far, we've always managed to recruit ahead of the curve. So as the workload is building up too much, we've always managed to get the right person into a seat in time. And I think that's going to be increasingly important as we scale the business further, um, that we continue to hire the right people and we build the right culture where people are motivated to to really over-deliver on their roles. And then we need to make sure that we we look after them as well. It was a huge learning for me last year when I decided that, right, okay, this is going to work and I need a team and I miss having a team. But for me, it was actually harder to find the right people to join the team with the right outlook on work or what we're doing versus the clients. And the team is so much more important than the clients in the sense of we try and make ourselves redundant with every client and it's project work and we love the clients that we work with and there's some that we choose not to but finding the right people who are part of your culture for years hopefully it's it's game changing and what you said about autonomy is so true I think if you can trust the team and they enjoy it too and I'm this is the thing this that we trying to take a week off and give them a week away from me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just let them have the week together so yeah I hear you on that one given that you're five years in and the last two years have been through a pandemic and pre that was Brexit how have you managed the pandemic was a challenge initially um at the start of the very first lockdown our sales dropped by over 90 percent and stayed there for eight weeks. And it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Our bags are designed for, for travel and no one can move anywhere. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> um, but we had this really, really clear vision that actually we're wanting to grow a globally recognizable brand over a period of 10 years. We were only at that point in time, three years into that journey. And actually the most important thing was to really focus on the brand and to use that time to lay foundations for when people could travel again. And so we didn't do any snap sales. We didn't discount our products. We really, really focused on trying to think about what do we need to do to be relevant at this point in time to our customers and to be there ready for when they do need our products again. And whilst it was scary and definitely our expenditure was greater than the revenue coming into the business, we just backed ourselves and had confidence that actually a pandemic, however bad it was going to be, there would be brighter days on the other side of it. Yeah. And it's having that faith, isn't it? As you said, back to yourself. And 
that roller coaster that every single founder talks about you've got to be okay with a roller coaster that was probably one of the biggest ones you'll have faced let's hope but backing yourself having that deep-rooted knowing that it's going to work is so important but it was completely the right thing to do as well and uh, as a brand we've been profitable every single year we've never taken any outside funding we're growing the brand organically and even by taking that strategy during a pandemic we still grew by 45 percent wow um, and actually, on the other side of the pandemic now, the growth is north of 200% at the moment. It's absolutely rocketing. And I truly believe that is down to all of the work that we put in during the pandemic to make sure that the brand was the right fit for our customers. And also that we use that time to really develop the products which our customers are going to need in the world when they could travel again. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of the sort of revenge travel that people are like, right, I'm out, out, out on that aeroplane and I'm not coming back for a while. 100%. Are there any last golden nugget pieces of advice that you'd like to share with a new founder? Absolutely. I can't claim this as my own piece of advice. I actually, I heard it somewhere else, but it's the the best and the biggest and the fastest growing companies don't have the fewest problems. They're just the companies which are most effective at solving those problems and have the most fun solving the problems. And I think that is really, really true. You're always going to be firefighting. The world isn't perfect. Things will go wrong. We've grown the business through a pandemic. We've had Brexit. We've There's so many different instances which were so far beyond our control and have had a material impact on the business. And you've just got to find a way to solve those problems. So if you relish a challenge of problem solving, you're bound to be a founder at some point in your career. Absolutely. <laughs> it's very, very true. Thank you, Ben. That's been wonderful chatting to you about all things Startup and Stubborn Co. Congratulations on the business. It's a very beautiful brand and uh, I wish you all the great success in the future. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. If you'd like to contact Ben, you can find all of his details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice he's so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.